Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. Today it's just me and Dom, Jen can't be with us, but um, I am one of your co-hosts, Kat Barnard, um, always joined by Dominic Waters, and today we've got a really interesting guest joining us, Katrina Collier. I was introduced to Katrina, I think, maybe about seven or eight weeks back, and we have been busy in conversation ever since. Um, Just to share with you, Katrina is a seasoned former recruiter and um, author of a fantastic book called The Robot Proof Recruiter. She's on a mission to fix talent acquisition and candidate experience, which, as we all know, has been exacerbated by hybrid working. Um, she's one of two people globally delivering design thinking workshops specifically for recruitment that swiftly help companies fix the real issues preventing successful hiring. She's a mentor, a global keynote speaker, and also the co-host of her own podcast, Hear the People. Um, and Katrina and I have been talking about what's wrong with recruitment and and largely about the role that communication effective communication plays in recruitment and so for that reason i thought she would be an amazing guest to come and chat with us today because after all the point of this podcast is to discuss the way that work is changing and to explore opportunities for you as internal communication professionals. So without further ado, welcome Katrina. Um, Lovely to have you here with us. Tell us a bit about your book and what led you to write it. So having been in the whole world of recruitment for a while and then I'd gone on to the other side, so I was training and speaking and doing all this sort of stuff, I was constantly hearing HR tech vendors say that recruiters could be replaced by technology. And I happen to disagree with that because I just don't believe for one second that that will happen when there are still cashiers in the bank and there are still people at the checkout as the supermarket for mundane transactions like that. There's no way that someone's going to hand their career to a robot. And then Kogan Page, the publisher, actually came to me I mean, they were sent my way by Perry Timms, but they came to me and asked me if I would like to write a book, which still to this day blows my mind. And I just went, oh my gosh, yes, I want to write The Robot Proof Recruiter. Obviously, I didn't quite know the name, but I I want to write about this issue because it's not true. Technology cannot replace um, the important role that recruiters play because they play with people's lives. You know, they're moving people from a job to another job. If that goes wrong, people are only a couple of paychecks away from being homeless and so on. Like, it's just too important. But I wanted to write about how to use technology to create better engagement, to communicate more effectively, to woo people, to influence, you know, to to just use it well, rather than as anybody who's been through a job search process in the last five or 10 years knows, it is just used as a barrier. It's just become ridiculous. So that's what it's about and what has blown my mind other than 
all of the people who helped me write it because I didn't anyone, want anyone to go, well, when did you last recruit Katrina? And me go, yeah, good point. So I got lots of people from the community in in the books. There's about 74 voices in the first edition. But what got me was just how well it did and how people lapped it up and they bought it and they bought it for their entire teams. And therefore, Kogan Page came back and asked for a second edition. So I got to give it a bit of a pandemic overhaul, which was good because the paragraph on flexible working did make me laugh quite a lot when I <laughs> went back through it. So the second edition just came out this August as well and seems to be doing quite well. So I'm, yeah, it's exciting. Um, it's, it's an honour to be asked to write a book and then for so many people to buy it. So very grateful. Well, Katrina, firstly, before we start looking at some of the communication aspects of, of recruitment, it'd be great, I think, if you could uh, bring us up to speed with the world of recruitment. That's a big ask, I know. Um, <laughs> but for someone like me, I look at things like LinkedIn or, or Indeed, and they seem very different from when I was perhaps being recruited and very modern. So if you could highlight some of the key changes that we should be looking out for, that'd be a great start, sure. please. Um Again, I talk about this a lot in the Robot Proof Recruiter. The biggest change to the world of recruitment was the internet. So yes, we do have, you know, LinkedIn, inverted commas, social network, and we have like Indeed, a job board aggregator. We have all these things. But the biggest changer was the internet. I mean, we wouldn't be talking right now without the internet. You know, Kat and I, who did admittedly just, just meet, were then using WhatsApp and we were texting back and forth and we've been messaging and sending voice notes and everything, you know, and it's all because of the internet. But in, um, so I, of course, professionally chose to, no, I didn't. I fell into recruitment like everybody does in 2003 when I moved from Sydney to the UK. And at that time, yes, of course we were using technology and there were job boards that we, and things like that, but it wasn't like people had appeared online. But when the crash happened in 2008-9, then suddenly the likes of LinkedIn filled up with people looking for work. And then LinkedIn got savvy and went, oh, well, we'll start selling that data so you can start using it to recruit and things like that. But it was the internet. And the other thing the internet did, which of course the internal comms people will be familiar with, is it opened the door to the companies. So not only can somebody now see all of the jobs that are out there, which you could not do back in the 90s, for example, Apparently you meant to say back in the 1990s just to make everyone feel old, but let's just go with 90s. <laughs> um, but the other thing it did is shows the reputation. So now in 2022, I can not only see all the jobs that are out there, I can go and see, well, how do the people treat their people? Like what is the leadership style like? Is there room for progression? What do people really say about it? And then what's the candidate experience like? So it's like this big open door and it's just the internet opened it and it's never going to shut again. So it sounds like the changes you've mentioned is much more about the range of information, the depth of information, the type of information, rather than mechanical channels by which people can post jobs. That's fascinating because that has a big spillover to communication, I guess. I mean, oh, it's absolutely, great because you don't, you don't need to go to a job board to find a job. So you can, if you're feeling savvy, is go and connect to your network, go back to former bosses, see where they've gone, go to companies and say, oh, you know, I'm after a product role. So let me go and find the heads of product at these companies and connect with them. And you can open doors that way. But it's this great transparency. It was actually really interesting. Um, when I had the second edition on the back of the book, I wanted to write the noise and transparency created by the internet. 
And I almost had a, a tussle with Coke and Page over this one word, transparency. They were thinking that I was saying it was deliberately opaque before. And it wasn't, it's just our worlds were really small and now our worlds are really big and everything is very open and accessible and you can really get under the skin of you know what's going on out there. So yeah, different I, time. I think that's really interesting. I think the whole point about transparency, I think you know, employers are still desperately scrambling to 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 keep up and catch up with that. And um I don't know whether you're familiar with it. There's a really interesting report that comes out i think it's an annual report now that comes out um from an advisory firm called brunswick and actually it's more about the critical role of leadership communication and leadership visibility in the age of transparency and how now you know on the one hand to your point katrina you as if you are um in the job market you can proactively if you choose to go out and track down opportunities that align with your sense of values but i also think the other thing that is really interesting is that when recruiters approach candidates that aren't actively looking for a new opportunity you know, there's a great amount of scrutiny that takes place now. So, so there is this thing that um, candidates will only pursue opportunities that would impress their mates down the pub kind of thing. And I know I, that that whole um, reputation of um, employer brand is is really um, important now for for certainly younger cohorts yeah i disagree by the way i don't i don't think it's about impressing your mates down the pub i think it's actually matching values i think it's and i think cat and i are the same age that we'd have wanted this as well if the internet had allowed it but it didn't so we had a lot of fear didn't we you never left your job without another one you couldn't see the jobs all this sort of stuff but I think the young generation now understand that they can see information. So therefore they can go and find a role that matches their values. And I think it's much more about what, what is the mission of this company? Uh, yeah, of the company, like what's going on? How are they helping the planet? You know, we know there's a problem. So what are they doing towards that? So it's, I, yeah, I don't know I, if it's yeah, to impress I mates. Get, I, 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 I mean, of course saying, there'll be people who want to join the Googles and the Facebooks of the world and good for them. But I do think there's a lot of people who love to be in the startup yeah, space that's making change as well. Yeah, 100%. So there are people that are um, in pursuit of values alignment and there are equally people, you know, particularly when you're starting out in your career. I can't remember who I was having a conversation about this with, about, you know, it being perceived as being super cool to go and work for, you know, a well-known trainer brand or a well-known clothing brand or, you know, the brands that that are cool with the kids and so on. But I think the point that I wanted to make was what I think is interesting about that is that um, it's never been easier to get under the bonnet of that brand veneer and so, and I'm not going to mention specific brands because I don't want to get into trouble, but you, know, dip up, you can go underneath and you, it's not too hard to get a sense now of what it actually feels like to work somewhere. So all the gloss, all the words, the old school brochures are now undermined by 
um, kind of the, the the age of of reviewing everything you know that there, there will be a site upon which you can leave your comments about how you have experienced a culture or a, a job or whatever I want to I want to stop you there because there's just there's two different things going on here right so one is that the school careers advisors and the university careers advisors are probably behind <laughs> they're probably still catching up you know, you just think about in our 30 years of work, how much the world of work has changed and how much has changed in the last 10 years. So they're, they're just not understanding. So they don't think to say, look, you could go and work for all those big glossy brands that you can see out there. And that's amazing. But gosh, you'd learn so much more if you went into the startup scene, like don't overlook SMEs. And unfortunately, they'll always push for corporates. You know, if you're getting a business degree, they'll be like, go for the top four. You know, they never think to say, and there's all of these other ones out there. So there's, there's that element going on. But back to the employer branding. Yes, my gosh, does your employer branding have to be true? And I think where internal comms has probably changed so much is it used to be this wonderful polished PR. I'm trying not to um, say BS. That <laughs> went out. <laughs> I don't know how blunt I'm allowed to be. I'm Australian. It's very hard. Um, but, you know, it used to be that. And we would only have that corporate high gloss thing that we just ne didn't really necessarily believe in but now people want the real gritty they want to hear from their peers they want to hear from employees they want to un genuinely understand what it will be like to work in the organization before they take the leap they're looking for that and they'll go to the TikToks. they'll go to the instagram they'll go and look behind the scenes they'll go to the review sites it's it's different they want the not everybody. There are people out there who are not curious and won't do any of it, but there are plenty of people who will. <laughs> Sorry. This is great for internal communicators. I think just drawing from that last few moments of conversation, my words, no, people are making decisions about the sort of careers they want and the organisation they want to work for. Some information that they're gleaning about what life's like there, what they stand for, what they do. And clearly as communicators, we've got a fantastic opportunity to shape that. So Kat, you were talking about leadership. I've noticed in glass door the, the, I think the top three questions tend to be about pay I guess that's inevitable but then what do you think of the CEO what do you think of the leadership and as communicators we have a, a massive influence on that about visibility about messaging about connection so I think it's just reinforcing the fact that communicators are an integral part of the recruitment team I guess my words oh, I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah no I, they are I, they absolutely are because the what they need to do is be able to say Okay, we have all of these Glassdoor, Indeed, Kanunu, you name it. Like there are so many places that people can write reviews. There is a common thread going through these. Leaders, you need to sit up and see that we have problems. So rather than let's try and gloss over those with some lovely communication, no, we actually need to fix the problem and then communicate that we're fixing the problem. Like we've heard what you're saying. This is what we've put in place to fix it. So I do a lot in the candidate experience. That's that's my thing. How are we treating the poor humans going through the recruitment process? Because it's a deeply unpleasant experience for everybody. And how are we treating those people? So you could start saying, oh, we have a brilliant candidate experience. Blah, blah. No one's going to believe it if they're having a bad experience going through it. So let's fix it and then communicate that we're fixing it. You said that, that seems, as a, as a layperson around this, that seems counterintuitive to me because you'd have thought any organisation looking to attract talent in what is still a difficult labour market would be doing all they can to uh, be, uh, make it easy for them and to give them a good impression. So I'm amazed, to be honest, being naive perhaps, that that's the opposite. So Could why, you why imagine they... if, if companies invested in the people that recruit the people for their company? Whoa. 
I mean, it does happen. There are firms out there who do do that, but you'd be stunned at how often the people that bring in the people are underfunded, undervalued um, and underinvested in. And so much of it comes back to they haven't sat up and demanded that seat in the table. HR, unfortunately, the, the whole people function. So you know, the human resources side, so the people that are meant to develop the people and then the, the TA side, so talent acquisition, people bringing them in. I'm simplifying it. They haven't got their place at the table. Too often leaders just undervalue. And it's crazy because people make companies run. It's as simple as that. It's it's not the tech because the person had to create the tech and runs the tech. You know, it's not the finance department. It's the person, you know, doing the audits and all that sort of stuff, running the accounts. But for some reason, just there's just not enough like value in those people. And until that changes, you will get these situations like it's, you're you're realizing it's absolute madness. I mean, right now the the market's gone a bit unstable, so we're already hearing of companies laying off their entire talent acquisition team, and that's crazy. What they because they would turn around and hire at some point, so maybe they need to downsize it a bit. But what about getting those people to pipeline, getting them to look at internal mobility, like see who else could be developed into future roles? You know, get get ahead of the market because they're going to be behind the game when they suddenly start needing to recruit again. They'll be months behind. So it's, yeah, interesting times. <laughs> just as a quick side up, uh, just a, a, what you're, away from the main topic, but what you're describing there about the experience, the, uh, the skills recruiters, I think reflects what internal communicators have also experienced. They may be slightly ahead of that, but the fact that firstly, they're, they're not getting a seat at the top table, and perhaps, to be honest, we're sometimes our, our own enemy when it comes to that. But, but secondly, also, the first people to be in the firing line when it comes to cutting back, when they should actually be maybe reallocated and refocused, but certainly kept. So that's an interesting mm. observation about and recruiters. I think that's the, this comes back to this perception. You know, what are we doing to change that perception? Um, I actually just recently created like a little mini course uh, for recruiters and I'm saying you need to go into the finance department and you need to be talking to those finance directors or CFOs or whatever they're called and finding out what the actual costs are and then start talking to them. Oh, well, you spent £25,000 on advertising. And you're like, well, you know, I direct source and saved just, uh, you know, 250000 Oh, did you? Oh, tell me more. You know, instead, oh, did, did you know that you're, you're paying this much for it? Well, did you know that it saves us this? And having these conversations. Do you know I retain this person? That saves us this. And I think in, it's changing the perception, you know, by working as the in, in internal comms. This is how I helped the bottom line. This is how I've saved the company money. You know, this is how I've attracted more people in who are more productive. So it's knowing your worth and communicating it to the right people. Too many people are just sitting in their offices doing their jobs. When I say sitting in their offices, obviously they could be sitting at home talking via the internet, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's that we need to start sitting up and owning, a bit like being more business, if you will, going and having those difficult conversations. Like explain it to me. Because we're seen as a cost center, internal comms recruitment is always going to be seen as a cost on the spreadsheet until we start trying to change that perception. I think that's perception. really interesting. It's, it's, you know, cost is measured. Savings aren't measured as much, but actually, and we talk about that a lot on this, on this podcast, you know, the intangible value that is, is created through communication and human connection and relationship building and so on it is very intangible because it's hard to measure 
I came across a quote actually. I think I might still um might still have it. You know, anything that is hard to measure just gets put to one side because it's just too much of a, a an issue. But we absolutely should be talking about not simply oh what these costs are here, but what these savings are over here and what the value is that has been created for a business by the hiring of this person or the the retention the convincing i hate that word retention but you know the convincing of somebody that that they should stay with the organization for these reasons but to give you um, an example of that though just just really briefly because i know we're a bit off topic but i was talking to debbie east today and she's actually an external recruiter but this is a great thing about how to communicate with such authority that people listen She's been talking to her clients and they're after DevOps people. DevOps people are like hen's teeth, right? They're just completely scarce. And she's saying, look, you can't afford a full-time salaried DevOps person. Bring in this consultant, this contractor. You've got this person over here with cross-trainable skills. Let them work together on a project for three months. And in three months time, you'll have your own DevOps person. And they're sitting there going, oh my gosh, and they're looking at the ka-ching of how much they're going to save. Yeah, sure, it's going to cost them a bit more on a contract, but long-term, it's going to save them so much money. And it's having that, like, knowing your expertise and then just saying it often enough. And also, it's just, you, you hit them with the stats. You know, people love a stat and they remember a stat. So if you're saying it often enough, you know, you'll hear me saying all the time, 86% of applicants that are ghosted by a recruiter end up down or depressed. And I just keep saying it and people, they remember it. They start going, oh, we need to stop doing that. And it's that knowing your worth, knowing your stats, saying them often enough, speaking up. Yeah. I mean, maybe this yeah, might sound strange. 100%. Maybe internal comms people aren't that great at speaking up for themselves. Maybe they're more comfortable speaking up for the company. Of course, the my closest internal comms person definitely speaks up. <laughs> that I'm thinking of. <laughs> um, I want to ask you something else because I am intrigued um, uh -oh. <laughs> that the landscape changed so quickly for the robot proof, um, recruiter. So the first yeah. edition came out in 20... 2019, on the 3rd of 2019. August 2019. Yeah. Right, okay. And then obviously you know, spring, well, no, it wasn't even spring, was it? It was late winter of um, uh, early 2020, the pandemic hit. Um, and obviously, Kogan Page have, have come back to you and said, look, you know, write a second edition because of the extent to which COVID changed the labour uh, market. No, I don't Give think that's why they came back. Um, I'm not 100, I'm not, I think it was because of the sales they came back and asked for a second edition, but it was those factors that I wanted to update. Um, so please share, you know, what you, your, your perception of the shifts and changes in the, the labour market since the pandemic and um, what impact those shifts are having on organisations' ability to hire. Yeah. Um, well, suddenly people could work from home, couldn't they? I, of course, I'm talking knowledge workers. My book is aimed at people who recruit people that are in high demand, which is usually knowledge workers. Um, though anyone in hospitality would beg to differ right now. Um, so it, it was this fact that everybody could work from home. And in fact, there are companies that were so much more productive because their people were at home, but they're still trying to drag them back into the office. So people 
took they took ownership they took power they moved out of cities they focused on their mental health they decided how they wanted to work and they're using the internet to see that and they're just making this choice that i i'm not going back into the office full time most people will happily go into the office a couple of days a week but there are people who will not go in at all and then there are of course people who want to go in full time and that makes it really really difficult for companies because they don't know how to manage like that. They don't know how to lead like that. It's just like, what do you mean? Oh my gosh. Or they go and organize a meeting and no one's in the office that day. You know, there's just like going back to communication. You know, there are just, it's, it's a challenge and we're having to learn that. So a lot of that was quite different. I mean, there were a scary number of mistakes made via recruiting via the internet, like, you know, misusing video interviewing, which you just think surely there's common sense, but I think the early days of the pandemic certainly had quite <laughs> quite an impact. Um, the other thing I wanted to really write about was I really hoped that after so many recruiters and I'm sure internal comms people were fired in 2020 with the massive like panic of, oh my gosh, knee jerk reaction, we need to downsize. When they came back into 2021, when we were now over hiring, they didn't come back with empathy and compassion for all of the people who are potentially have a gap on their CV, trying to return to the workforce. Um, so I wanted to write about that. The other thing I saw, which is continues to change and certainly as a direct result of the pandemic is people who were perhaps not that technically savvy are now very technically savvy because they had to be right. Suddenly you're like, Haha, you're going to use this computer off you go. And they became, more confident in writing reviews, in writing articles, in sharing what's, you know, their opinion of the company on recruiting hell on Reddit, for example. Um, I included in there uh, two articles that were written by a now former employee of a job board aggregator because he went into this company, he went into the foyer, he saw the branded rainbow logo and he was like, I have found my tribe but the company turned out to be homophobic. Well, actually because of their parent company, mostly his experience was dreadful. He was overlooked for promotions. His knowledge was claimed as somebody else's and on it went. So he just wrote the articles right there on LinkedIn for the world to see, which the three of us being the generation we are, wouldn't have dreamed to do when we started in the world of work. I've seen that happen because of the pandemic. There's this confidence that people have. It's like, we've been through a pandemic. We've reassessed, you know, <laughs> well, like we're okay now. If you want to employ us, you need to understand that we have the power. Um, and you can you can see the resistance. You can see the. <laughs> we were talking about this a bit off air, um, but the you know the media trying to get us back in the office because you know the the politicians, their rich mates, the landlords in the city, they want to get people back in, and people just don't want to go back in. <laughs> And just like, forget it. I'm not listening to you. Oh, the latest was the oh, heating bills are going to drive people back into the office. And I did a poll and the results were, yeah, no, it's not going to drive me back into the office because the, the commute cost is too high. You know, it's, I don't want to spend that. So it's like, mm, you know, so there's just all of those changes. So, um, but I, I was very grateful to be able to also um, update all the tech. We lost a lot of great tech in 2020. It just didn't survive. So it was good to update all of that as well. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think we've talked on this show before about um, the impact that open letters published by 
disgruntled employees, most notably of Apple and Brewdog, who are two very well-known brands, the impact that they had on brand reputation, that's one thing, but actually what you've alluded to, which I think is also really interesting, is that when you see elsewhere people bandying together to produce an open letter which goes viral, it gives permission and it builds courage elsewhere, doesn't it, in the kind of the the, the talent ecosystem so that so that mediocrity or poor poor standards are less tolerable than ever before. You know, it is we that that is the one thing that impresses on me the whole time is that the labor market now is so very, very, very different. The internet has, to your absolute point, created a transparency for all of us. And so few employers are on top of that. And for me, you know, I see this amazing opportunity for um, internal communicators to evolve their role because of the role that communication plays in building relationship, which underpins any successful employment contract. Exactly. I, I mean, when you go back, fascinating. when you go back to 2020, what were the companies that succeeded, right? We're all suddenly at home. You know, at that point I was dealing with my, you know, bless him, he's now passed at 16, but he, my dying Labrador. So I probably had it easier than most people because I just had the one thing, but people were there with children and they're trying to work and they're homeschooling and, you know, people were burning out. Who were the leaders that we all resonated with? The ones that would just turn up and their child would walk in in the middle of it and they'd grab their child and plonk the child on their lap and continue talking and, you know, soothe child in the middle of it and, and just were really real right people just want real they just don't want pretense they don't, they want leaders that understand that we're humans that we ebb and flow i think there's just this you know I, i've been working for myself for 12 years i think something crazy like that i work when i feel like it and that's such a joy that's what people are starting to want they're like look you know what i'm really good at 7 a.m can i work at 7 a.m but i'm not so great at five can i just stop early you know and like that that kind of flexibility can we do it on productivity and output and not on presenteeism and this is just it's so hard for leaders to get their heads around and this whole thing i was having a debate with some leaders yesterday about vulnerability and i think some of them were finding it hard to understand that vulnerability is a great way of building trust and making connection and improving the example you quote is a brilliant one people warmed to so I, uh, I was um i did a talk i mean it, <laughs> speaking of vulnerability um i will never forget the moment that i sent the robot proof recruiter off when i knew it was finished and i hit send and i sent it off and i as i before we came on air i'm a victor over child abuse and the the little inner child is never far away full of fear and i will never forget that feeling of sending it off and being like oh my gosh i've written out my opinion for the entire world to pick to pieces but thankfully it's been well received. But even last week, that feeling of vulnerability, I'm standing on a stage, someone asked a question, I had no clue how to answer it. And I went, I have no idea. Anyone, anyone? And I crowdsourced the answer because there's always someone in the audience that answers. And that people respect me more because I've been, so I get the fear. I felt the fear when I sent the book off, 
But actually, it also means people go, oh, Katrina's really genuine. Like, we, I, I really buy into her because she'll just admit when she doesn't know something. And that's what people that's, want. That's I don't know. Can I find out and come back to you? Katrina, I'd like to build on that at the moment to come back to some of the things around communicators. But we're, we're recording this roughly around Halloween. So perhaps being topical for a second, could you build on some of those horror stories? Because... Uh, you've mentioned some of the things that happened, but some of the horror stories that candidates have experienced, um, just so that we can understand the sort of things, if we haven't been perhaps in the market for a while, what, what people are suffering from, what they're dealing with. I, I, I mean, I really do feel if somebody hasn't been in the market, put your feelers out, go and put an application in. You know, even if you don't proceed, go through the experience of applying for a job. How hard is it? How many clicks have you got to go through to get from the website to the, the ATS to then submit your CV? Do you need to copy and paste? You know, like all that palaver. And then to go through that, which will probably take you an hour, do you hear anything? And then worse, we have people who are interviewed. They, they have, I mean, just think about the stress of an interview. Even if it's lobbing up for a video interview, you are still stressed. You are still concerned about how you're presenting yourself. It's still exhausting. And then you hear nothing. <laughs> And it's just like some people actually I saw and again, a post right there on LinkedIn. And then all of these other people jumped in. This person was a buyer for one of the big or going for a job as a buyer with one of the big supermarkets. No feedback after three interviews, a presentation and a panel. That's hours of somebody's life. And 86% of applicants feel down or depressed when they don't get feedback, when they're ghosted by recruiters. Now, a lot of that comes back to hiring managers needing to learn to communicate. Like, what is the feedback? Oh, well, you didn't demonstrate this skill. So make sure next time they demonstrate that skill. You know, we're looking for somebody who really could demonstrate they've got project management skills. That one word is so powerful. And then that gets passed to the recruiter who can then pass it on to the applicant or the candidate and then that person feels empowered when they go forward into their future interviews they're like oh god now i've actually really demonstrated this time let's not get it wrong instead of feeling all dejected that they got you know they were rejected out of the process with no explanation um so that that's my i mean the one i hate the most is that we can treat people like that that is my huge biggest ghosting it seems up for halloween but it's my biggest horror story but it's the fact that people talk they talk. You know, the other thing you see happening a lot, particularly out of the US, when they're letting go of their entire talent acquisition teams, the ones that are winning are when the leader of the TA team will go, here's a spreadsheet, like it's a Google sheet or something with my team and their emails and their contacts and their experience. You know, it's just transparent. I mean, it just wouldn't have happened five or 10 years ago. Go, go poach my team because they've all been made redundant. And that's it, really powerful and it reflects well on them as a leader and well on the company that they're so open mm. as well. So rather than trying to hide it and pretend it. Sorry. Yeah, but understanding, again, my naivety, I guess, but that these sort of things do happen so frequently. I've got three daughters and around the age of 20 up to 23, some of them in the, in the job market. And I suppose they have experienced some of this, but it gets it's a bizarre that, organizations which have customers lots of customers don't say these people were rejecting silently they're going to be customers or could have been customers and they're yeah. going to say that all these things to people who need oh, to be yeah. customers so, so my that, um so, that gets... so i know it's it's mad isn't it so it, the father aspect you'll appreciate so my first book actually came out on my father's 90th birthday 
just randomly. That was the publication date. And um, he read it and he messaged me. And um, I put this in addition too, but he passed before it came out. And he was saying that he used to work for Tip Top Bakeries. And he, it sounded awfully sexist the way he said it because it was back in the, you know, the days. He was hiring these clerks and all of these ladies applied. And I'm just like squirming as I'm reading his email. So I kind of <clears throat> took some of the sexism out when I put it in the book. But he, what he was saying was that we were taught then, be careful how you reject them because they buy our bread. Right? And where did we lose that? Where did we lose that? Like it's... And so it's just, it hasn't changed, but if anything, it's been amplified because the internet's created this ability to really shout from the rooftops and get some incredible traction behind posts. Particularly if you are doing it really calmly, you know, the gentleman I was talking about earlier, he was really matter of fact. He was just so, it, it, and what was really surprising was his new boss commented on the second post and said, that's okay, I've got you now, like their loss. And it was really lovely, that support, that actually companies aren't bothered by that either. Whereas, of course, we'd have thought they would be. We can't, you know, um, ruin our reputation. So different, so different. Given what we've been talking about, Katrina, what would be your three top tips for internal communicators who want to improve the way their organisations recruit? I think you absolutely, three, I've got to come up with three, hello. Okay, no pressure. Um, you, you absolutely got to get your leaders to understand it's a different world. Now, you were just talking about your Gen Z children, because apparently that's what they are. Um, we've still got Boomer and Gen X leaders, and they're kind of going, oh my gosh, these Gen Zs, I don't understand them because they're, you know, technical native uh, what is it called digital natives and we are we're digital immigrants and it's like yeah just remind them that they created them just a thought we created the internet and all of this and it's our fault so you just deal with it but the fact that they have different expectations and so do we now that we know how to use technology to go and research right so i think it's a case of showing them convincing them going and looking for all of the information that is out there there is so much information out there about employer branding, candidate experience, you know, and the impact. Obviously, there's a great book written by Katrina Collier called The Robot Proof Recruiter, um, <laughs> which I hasten to add, I donated my royalties to Hope for Justice Charity, so please buy 10. Um, so that would be, I think, go and persuade them, you know, that, that it matters. If right now they're about to downsize and they're doing the knee jerk, let's get rid of employer branding, internal comms and the TA team, they need to think about the knock on impact of that. And again, it's like, is that really what we should be doing right now? When we're going to make our brand look really bad to the marketplace, what happens when we go to hire? Um, a few weeks ago, I spoke at an event for Personio and one of the speakers mentioned a, it was a startup that panicked let go of half of the engineering team and it took them five years to recover because engineers talked and wouldn't go and work at that company. So it's like understanding, it's like looking for those sources of information, seeing what your competitors are up to, you know, and just making sure that you've got your case. That's two. What else can they do? Um, I would really actually, do you know what? I think um, accept that people are going to talk exactly how they want to talk, guide them, but don't put polished PR on top of them. You know, just empower your people to, you know, understand the impact of their words, 
so that you know if they are going out and speaking on behalf of the company but don't stranglehold them you know i had to do um a video for a company earlier in the year and um i said to them i don't i i, I don't make me read a script but sure enough they made me submit a script that had to be approved by legal and then i ended up reading it it was horrific i i hope i never see it i'm so embarrassed by it because i wasn't speaking from heart I, it was all so it's like that let, let your people speak from heart even though it scares you and that's really interesting in and of itself isn't it because i know again you know in previous conversations on this podcast we've talked about the evolving role of internal communication and how it dovetails into and intersects with you know external communication corporate communication pr etc but what i'm really taking away from this conversation is that we're almost post gloss now like the last few years has forced all of us unless you're kind of psychologically unstable or you know psychologically sorry that i came across wrong unless you're on the sort of sociopath psychopath kind of spectrum all of us have become infinitely more aware of how fragile life can be and I think most of us seek authenticity. So the the kind of pre-pandemic gloss knickers to it. Like just it there there is this this need now to shift our perception of what we think any type of corporate communication should be and actually align with realism and authenticity and integrity and values driven humane communication right if we're getting it wrong we're getting it wrong but we're doing the best we can because again it's internal comms isn't it so it's the leaders feeding to the team like we, you know this is the direction we're taking but they they also people want to have a right of reply they they feel that they should be able to say uh cat why are you doing that you know, I've got 10 years experience in this and I'm wondering why you're doing this. You know, they should have also that ability to feed back and that jewel. Everyone wants that jewel. They want to feel, it's like we want leaders, we don't want managers. We want to, and I think this is some of the problem with hybrid working. Everybody still wants to come together and collaborate, but also wants to work independently. And it's, it's tough, it's not easy. But there's that, I always say it like this, you know, my issue with the words personal brand, are it sounds like hard work. It's not, it's your reputation. And I just want it to be that people see me online and meet me in person and I'm exactly the same. I don't want them to go, oh, well, you're not, well, actually, to be fair, my photo is rather lovely. I did actually have makeup on that day, so they might get a bit shocked. But other than that, I want them to be like, no, the way she speaks and the way she is online is exactly how she is in person. And I think that's what people want from companies now. They just want to see this is what they're like. I'll feel comfortable working there. I'm not wasting my time, my irreplaceable time. The time you've spent listening to this podcast, you're never getting it back. It's irreplaceable. So it's the same as. Well, I think Kat, that's a good uh, good thing to bring us into land, I think, if, if we may. So I, I, look, there's huge amounts to take from this, but if I could have a go, perhaps of bring it into, again, three, 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 three things. I think we've talked about leaders. And the fact that leaders are, are so powerful, a because of the way they behave, because of the the the, the contact they have, but also the, the stories they give people to tell. So be real, be authentic, act in a way that people are going to want to come to work with you. I think is is one. Secondly, as communicators, 
we can really help commuter, uh, commuters, no, recruiters even, uh, to recruit more effectively. Um, and that means being open and, and using the good principles of communication that we know as communicators when it comes to the people applying for jobs. And I think remembering your, your father's advice about they're going to be buying bread from us as well as coming from us for jobs. That's a very good piece of advice. And the lastly is helping people be good advocates. So um, people are going to talk to others who work in the organisation, give them the information and the freedom to express it so that they can encourage people by their own enthusiasm to come and work there. I know there was a lot more. But those, I think, are three key things that, as a communicator, I, I've taken from the conversation. Agreed. So, so, it's, it's not so complicated. Thank you very much indeed. Hey, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Katrina. I knew this would be a good idea. I, um, I know that we could spend far, far longer than the time that is available to us just chewing the fat on some of these topics. And, and of course, you know, the sands are shifting all the time. Um, I think it's going to be very, very interesting for industry at large, how things pan out over the next, well, I'm not even going to say couple of years, because let's, let's be honest, everything that's happened this year, you know, a week is, <laughs> is almost a year in crazy times. Thank you for coming to join us and Thank chatting you. with us today. Um, everybody that's listening, I hope you found this uh, episode of interest and we look forward to being with you again soon to to chat about some more aspects of the rapidly evolving field of internal communication. Thanks so much for listening today. This episode has been brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and was hosted by myself, Jen Sproul, Kat Barnard and Dominic Walters. This episode was produced by Jessica Williams and Shabit Luogonpalu. And if you've enjoyed this episode today, we'd be enormously grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on the channel you choose to tune in. It really helps others to know that we're here. We'll tune in and hopefully see you next time.